innovative Often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it Make it way harder for them to follow What I take it Hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious bruh I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk You painted skunks You played enough I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight Welcome to the show, everyone. It's our first birthday, and in the second year of the show, I want you to expect more. That means more shows, more interviews, more videos, more comics, more fun. I also want you to expect a couple of big changes. The first one being, we're changing the name of the show. Why are we doing this? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, we want a name that's going to reflect our emphasis on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Looking back on the more than 50 shows we've done, the overwhelming majority of those are about Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, about Jiu-Jitsu history, and we want a name that reflects that. Second, we want to unify all of our content into one place where you can find it so we can be most useful to the community and be the best possible resource we can be. Now, a lot of you know that I have a blog called Dirty White Belt, and that's going to be available at dirtywhitebelt.com. From now on, the show is going to be called Dirty White Belt Radio. Now, don't worry. It's still going to be the same kind of content that you've come to expect. We're still going to be locally focused. We'll always be focused on jiu-jitsu and the fighting arts in the Carolinas and beyond. That means the Southeast, Virginia, South Carolina, all those places. But we're also going to bring you more interviews with really important figures in national and international Brazilian jiu-jitsu, in jiu-jitsu and martial arts history, and more. Because jiu-jitsu is a fighting art, we're still going to focus on MMA, we're still going to bring in local fighters and things like that. So the content shouldn't change, but the name is going to. So from here on out, you can find us at DirtyWhiteBelt.com. We're going to unify all the radio shows, more than 50 shows. We're going to unify my blog, which has about five years of blog posts that hopefully you find useful. We're going to unify all the training videos, all the food videos, all the nutrition information. And we're going to start producing regular comics again, too. For those of you that have followed some of the comics that I've done for Toro BJJ, Cage Side MMA, and stuff like that, we're going to start producing more of those as well. And that's what I mean when I say I want you to expect more. We're still going to do the weekly, maybe more than a weekly on occasion, radio show, but we're going to make the radio show better. You're still going to hear regularly from Trevor Hayes about Muay Thai, about MMA, about all the stuff that he gets up into, but we're going to bring in a rotating cast of guest hosts as well. A lot of these people are going to be people that you've heard and hopefully enjoyed on the show. Folks like Hoist Gracie Black Belt Seth Champ. Folks like John Bagels Telford, active competitor, brown belt at Forged Fitness. Folks like Lourdes Cantu, who you haven't heard yet on the show, but who's a blue belt at Chapel Hill Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and brings a lot of really interesting perspectives on the local scene, somebody that I'm excited to talk with. And folks like Cody Malte, who's been on the show a couple of times, runs Elevate MMA. I'll continue to be the main host, but we'll have a rotating cast of guest hosts, including folks like Trevor, Seth, Cody, Bagels, Lourdes, and maybe a couple more. Uh, we have some fun surprises planned for you as well. All of our social channels are going to change to the Dirty White Belt brand, but if you follow us already, you should still be able to follow us. We're on Instagram at Dirty White Belt and on Twitter at DWB Radio and at Jeff Shaw. You can also get at us on both of those platforms using the hashtag DWBBJJ. Right now, DirtyWhiteBelt.com just redirects to my blog, but we're doing a redesign that's going to launch on the first of the year, and I can't wait to show you all that. 
the show has always been a labor of love and it's going to continue to be that we're going to put a lot more time and energy into it than ever before though and so you'll continue to hear the show weekly but you'll also see more videos more guests more cartoons uh, more fun stuff that's just going to keep you engaged with the jiu-jitsu scene in the carolinas and beyond so I want to thank everybody who's listening for your support so far. I hope that you will continue to support the show going forward, and I'm excited to see where year two takes us. Welcome to Dirty White Belt Radio, the show formerly known as the Cage Side Concussion Cast. I'm Jeff Shaw, and I want to thank you for listening. Because this is the first show we're doing under the Dirty White Belt label, we wanted to make sure that it was really special. And we did that by finding a legendary figure in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu history that we think people ought to know more about. Leca Vieira is the first woman ever to win the Black Belt World Championship. She's also the first woman to ever promote another woman to Black Belt and is responsible for the growth of women's jiu-jitsu in America more than maybe any other figure. As a three-time world champion and Abu Dhabi silver medalist, Leca Vieira has some incredible competition achievements. She also has some landmark accomplishments as an instructor, which you'll hear about over the next few minutes, and some tremendous stories about starting training in 1992 when she was 16 years old during a time when jiu-jitsu was even more male-dominated than it is now. Over the next 30 minutes or so, you're going to hear about her most memorable matches, wins and losses. You're going to hear about some of the students she's most proud of. You're going to hear about training with Higgin Machado and helping to start the women's only class at Higgin's gym 17 years ago. You're going to hear about her toughest day of training ever, which, when you consider the old school era she grew up in, was pretty tough indeed. You're going to hear about her experience training with other legends of the art and watching the growth of jiu-jitsu in America. You're going to hear about what she thinks about modern sport jiu-jitsu competition, about winning and losing, about the best training method, and about how she approaches teaching at her academy. I really enjoyed my conversation with the legendary Leca Vieira. I feel like it's really important to honor the figures that brought the martial art to the United States, that continued to grow it, and were instrumental in the development of Brazilian jiu-jitsu in America. And I'm very excited to present to you our interview with Leca Vieira. Our featured interview with Leca Vieira is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ makes the best gis and the best no-gi gear around. You can check them out online at torobjj.com. It's because of sponsors like this that we can make interviews with legends of the art and the best competitors going today possible. So thanks to Toro BJJ for sponsoring our featured interview. Check them out online, torobjj.com. When did you first realize that you were in love with Jiu-Jitsu? You know, I, I started Jiu-Jitsu December... 1992. That was the first day that I started Jiu-Jitsu. I knew nothing about Jiu-Jitsu. It was the first day that I fell in love with Jiu-Jitsu. Was the the love at first sight? And what about it grabbed you? Can you even put your finger on it, or what particularly did you made you say this is something that I want to do for the rest of my life? You know what? I remember. I remember like it was you know yesterday. I went to class and um, uh, the class was about takedowns. So I was seeing like how the smaller people it could easily throw the, the bigger people, and and I I was fascinated. I was like, because you know, uh, not knowing anything about the Jesus, and if you would ask me like, oh, can you throw this this guy on the ground? I'd say impossible. How? He's double of my size. But the first day. I put my gear on and I, and I tried a class was a big down and I was able to take uh, those big guys down. So I was like fascinated. I was like, oh my God, I don't even need to use my strength. I just need to use that motion and technique and I can, you know, throw a person on the ground. So I was like fascinated. 
I know you have a background in all kinds of sports, from soccer to volleyball, handball. Did you get into jujitsu for to, to do it? How do you view jujitsu? Do you view it as a sport or self defense or? You no, know, I don't know if I if I fell on jujitsu's lap or jujitsu fall my lap because I I didn't even have any plans to do jujitsu. Uh, I had a friend that told me about jujitsu, but uh, I I I. I felt like I wanted to do martial arts because I was a handball player, and I and I I tore my ACL. So in handball, I I couldn't play handball anymore because you need to to move a lot side to side, and uh, it was something that I couldn't do it anymore. So um, my, then I I wanted to do taekwondo. And I, I went to a taekwondo class, I saw it and everything, and I was like, oh, that's what I wanted to do, and then something like that. So I told the teacher, okay, you know, uh, you can order my gi, and he said, okay, your gi will be here in like two or three days, you come back and you can start it. I said, okay. In this meantime, I had this friend who told me, you know, it's amazing, it's like this and like that, and I was like, you know what, I don't, I don't want to do jiu-jitsu because I don't think you're going to feel comfortable grabbing someone else. I don't want to be like hugging people and grabbing someone else's, you know, it's true like, I don't know, it's, I, I don't want to do this. I want it to be like, kind of like a way, like throwing the punches and kicks. That's what I wanted to do. But, but they insisted to me, please go, please go just one time. You don't need to go anymore. And it was a close friend of mine. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take one for this team. I go, but you know, just because you, you, you buggy me. Then I went and, and I couldn't stop. That and and obviously you've had a really successful career as a uh, as a competitor as a teacher. And I'm curious, you're, you're the first woman to win the worlds, and I'm wondering if you could tell me about winning the worlds in 1999, the Mundial de Jiu Jitsu. How much do you remember about that? Um, your matches and at the time, did you have a sense of the historical significance of what you had achieved at that time? My 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 focus 100% was in jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu was the most important thing to me, and uh, I wanted to I wanted to win the world championship. I wanted to be the best, but I never it never crossed my mind that I would be making history as far as being the first one on and all these things. I never, you know, I don't know if I was too young, you know, to because I was like 20, 21, 22 years old. So I don't know if I was like too young. I I I never. I never, I never saw it this way. I just wanna, I just wanna fight and win. That was my whole thing. I was extremely competitor, and I just wanna win, win, win. And I never, I never realized that I, I, I was about to make history, or I, I made history that day. You know, I, I, I can only think that I had to fight, and you know, I was very strategic because I wanted to win. And I would, uh, you know, take an ugly win versus a beautiful loss any day. So I just wanted to win. I just wanted to prove to myself that I was able to win. And I, I've been uh, through a lot of things, you know. I started in Jiu Jitsu in 1992 when Jiu Jitsu was a um, uh, male sport dominated. Like, it wasn't for women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember stepping there and it was like maybe six to seven guys. And I was the only woman there, looking at me like. And I was 16 years old. I wasn't even like a woman yet. I was a teenager. So, you know, I went through a lot of things. And, you know, 
I think all these things that I went through just gave me the motivation to work hard. And, you know, like I said, the only thing crossed my mind was I wanted to win. And you had a, an incredibly successful competition career that shows your drive to win. You won the Worlds, I believe, three times, won the Pans three times. Uh, you also were a silver medalist at ADCC. Is there one win, mm-hmm. is there one particular, either one match or one achievement that stands out to you looking back as like, this is the thing I'm most proud of, this is the one win I'm most proud of, or this is the thing I achieved in competition that I'm the most proud of? You know, um, like, like, you, like you said, I mean, it has to be the first world championship in 1999 just because the history that goes behind and all these things, you know what I mean? But uh, I, I was uh, so driven that I don't count my wins, I count my losses, you know? And if, if you ask me, you know, what was the loss that hurt you more was the ADCC 2005 for sure. Mm-hmm. So my wins, I, I feel like it, oh, it's just like it's just like an obligation. That's what I trained for. It's like, okay, next next day I was at the gym again training for the next one, you know what I mean? But when I would lose, then, you know, it was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, it was more tragic for me. So it, it's, um, but, you know, talking about the wins, just because the history behind, I think, was this 1999, the first world championship for sure. And yet, it's funny how many top-level competitors uh, focus more on their losses than their wins. And in 2005, you, you beat Gazi Parman in the semifinals and faced Kira Gracie in the finals. It's interesting mm-hmm. that like people that are very competitive often focus on those as opposed to the, the many times you won the world championship. Yeah, you know, I, I, I tell my students and my people, I, there is only one thing that I, 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 it's, I hate more losing than I love winning. You know, that's my problem. You mentioned that when you started, it was a, a fairly male-dominated enterprise, and you would walk in among 50 to 70 guys and, and be the only woman. What are the biggest changes over the years that you've seen in women's Brazilian jiu-jitsu? It's, uh, nowadays, we have much more women uh, training, competing, and uh, I believe that, you know, uh, you know, we, we kind of like uh, help open the doors, and you know, women would see that oh, they're competing. Oh, you know, I, I can compete too, or you know, I, it's something that uh, that I, I, I would like to try. And then they know they have one woman here, one woman that, so they start um, coming more to the gym or hear hear from someone else. You know, um, I remember when I when I first got to the United States, I remember like. Uh, black belts, like Brazilian black belts with with huge names, telling me, yeah, you know, but it, uh, you want you want to see the United States to be big and things like that. But you know what? I'm gonna tell you, don't waste your time because American woman doesn't like to be touched, so it's not gonna work. Jiu-Jitsu is not gonna be the women Jiu-Jitsu is not gonna be big in the United States. Don't even try. You're wasting your time. If I was if I was you, I just focus on training and competing because it's not gonna work. I, I remember those guys telling me those things like, don't don't even try it because it's not gonna work, you know. And nowadays you see how big it is, you know. And I think it's because you know my generation, you know, they see what we went through. You know, it was much 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 harder 
uh, for you as a woman to train back on the 90s, you know what I mean? Much harder, much, much harder. You know, it's just, uh, just you know, by that you, you, I think people have to show respect because it was very, very hard. And maybe I have many times that I want to, you know, to quit, but I never quit it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to win and inspire other people, inspire other women, make them understand that was possible for them too. So I believe it comes from the old generations. I think it's really important to talk about history and to learn from the people that came before us. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that in a second, but I want to follow up. You moved to the U.S. in 2001, and I believe you you were the first woman black belt in America at that time. Is that is that yeah. right? Can you believe Jeff? Yeah. Come a long way. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, like I said, when I left my house in Brazil, I have, you know, a couple hundred dollars a few pairs of clothes and a big dream, you know, and uh, that was that was my mission. I wanted to I wanted to spread the 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 word. I wanted to show other women how great it is for women. I think jujitsu is better for women than than men even because I, I jujitsu for me I I I see jujitsu. I don't see jujitsu as a competition. I don't see jujitsu as anything. I see jujitsu as the best way for you to protect yourself. You know, this is, this is like it. If you have jiu-jitsu and, you know, it's, you have, you're like 90% safe. I can't say 100% because obviously people use guns and, and things like that. But, you know, I, I, jiu-jitsu is like the perfect uh, martial arts for women. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I don't have anything better than that. I believe you were also the first woman to promote another woman to black belt, Cindy Omatsu. Uh, was that yes. was that a different experience? You know, and obviously you've probably promoted a lot of black belts over the years, but that was a, was that a different or special experience for you as a, as a teacher? You know, Jeff, uh, I'm gonna tell you the same thing. It, it, you you uh, maybe don't believe me, but I never I, I, I never thought about those things. I never thought like. Oh, you know, I'm making history again. Here I go again. I'm promoting, I'm a, I'm a women black belt promoting uh, another woman as the first American to black belt. So I never, I never thought this way. I never like, I never thought about the history that was being done. I just thought about the, the being there with her every day. Uh, she's learning from me, training with me, developing. I just thought about her development since. I start training with her. I never thought, I never thought about those things. Like I'm gonna be making history. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it wasn't like what I was thinking at the moment, you know. But you know, history was made again, and I'm happy. I'm proud, and I'm happy that you know I, I, contrib- I contribute, and I'm happy for her too to be, you know, uh, a black belt uh, under me as well in Higa Machado. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about some of the students that you're most proud of over the years, but I'd like to go back a little further to when you when you were training leading up to winning the Worlds in the 90s. I'm wondering, do you have memories of some of your the toughest people that you trained with, men or women? Um, and I also want to ask about the toughest people you competed against. So who do, who do you remember as like the tough people you trained with, the tough people you competed against? You know, uh, the, the tough people I trained, for sure, was my training partners that I have back in the day because they were a bunch of guys... And and I had this I had this uh, 
I, I went to the academy, I started training there. They, they would try to beat me up so I can leave. Then I, I get beat up, I come back again. And then they look at me, you here again? Then if they beat me up again, I will all be there again. So after that, I, I, from, the, from a punching bag, I became kind of like start getting to the club too. So once I get into the club, we had this great relationship where they knew that I was there for real, that I wasn't, because they would even tell me, like, oh, no, when they come here, they stay two, three months, and they leave, and things like that. They're not serious about, jiu-jitsu is not for them, and this and that. So, but when I, when I, when I joined the club, I said, I said, my, my, my teammates, they gave me hell. They gave everything that I need to be prepared for any, any situation, any kind of fight. Or if you were self-defense, you know, I, I had I had days where, you know, it was a self-defense class and I was in the middle and it was like 20 guys around me and, you know, sometimes three or four were attacking me at the same time. So I, I was training to prepare for every situation. And as far as going to, to training stand-up, training on the ground, and, and uh, it was like an old-school regime where you get hit, you know, uh, you, if you don't do well, you have to take that much push up. So I went, I went through a lot of, a lot of things. I went through hell pretty much. So it's, uh, but you know, I cannot, I can only say that it was the best experience for me because I experienced a lot of punishment, a lot of, you know, different scenarios and situations that uh, mold me to the teacher or fighter competitor that I am today. You know, and obviously. As far as competition, uh, I would I would never never take anybody easy because I think from the time that you that you step on the mat and you have a, a, a person across the way from you, I know that this person wants the same thing I do. They wanna they wanna win. She wants to win. I want to win, and that's why we fight. I, I, I think I would not be fair if I tell you that this person was tougher than that person than this person. I think he. You know, pretty much uh, all those fights that I had, they were very tough, very, very tough. Every single one of them, they gave me something, you know. So I, 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 don't, I don't feel comfortable saying, oh, that person's tougher than that one or vice versa, you know what I mean? Do you have a story about your toughest day of training that you want to tell me? My toughest day of training was uh, when, uh, when I was training for ADCC, no gifts. I I would train and then I would run out of the, the mat, bare feet, and go on the streets and throw up. And later came back to train again. And and uh, they start asking me, oh, why why you go outside all the time? We have a bathroom here. You you you're going to pee? I was like, no, I'm uh, just throwing up and coming back. So this whole time I was going throw up and come back. And, and my my training partners, the the my coach, they, they didn't even know. Was was very very hard. I, I can only imagine how hard the training was for that for that. Was that two thousand five? Yeah, was uh, the first ADCC. So you mentioned that you trained with a bunch of guys, and these guys would put you through the ringer, really like prepare you for any situation. When did you get your first regular woman training partner? You know, this is the thing. Yeah, like back in the day, you know, I was there, and uh, like I said, yeah. One girl would come, I was all happy, excited, yeah, I'm going to have a girl to train with me, and blah, 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 and things like that. And then all of a sudden, uh, she would leave because 
she, she would train with me, but train with the other guys too. And, you know, it was like a, a very intimidating atmosphere for women, you know. So they would come one day, they would come the other day. But then after some time, because I was there, I created like a, um, a women class. So then they had their own time. They they were separated from the guys. It was my class with them. So I, from that point in on, we started having more girls training because it was a women's class. So they separated from the guys. Hmm. So then the things would start going well. But it was very hard to keep one girl training uh, in the same time as me because it was kind of like pretty much me and a bunch of those guys. So it was hard. It was very intimidating, you know. When you uh, when you moved to the U.S., you also started a women's only class at Higgin Machado's gym. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Was that yes. and was that your idea based on your experiences, or was that something that Higgin suggested? No, no. Higgin, Higgin, I, I love Higgin. Higgin is the best guy ever. He gave me my first opportunity to teach in, uh, in the United States. He invited me to start a women's program in his school. And, you know, was very successful, and I thank him uh, for the opportunity that he gave me. He then came up with the idea, and then we started doing the women's class in his place. You received your black belt from Aloiso Silva, is that right? Yes. When I got my black belt, I went to the Gracie uh, Umaita, Gracie Shizuka. So from 1999, 2000, let me see, 2001, I believe, or 2000, don't remember very well, I switched to the Grace of Maita, and then um, I stayed with them for 17 years. Obviously, when I came to the United States, I was training with Higgins, but with authorization way to Holly, because when I got here, the United States was uh, Holly and Gracie, Hicks and Gracie, and the Machados, that's it. You don't have anybody else. So recently, I switched to Checkmate. And uh, how did how did that come? I know you have you have an academy in Valencia, California, where you teach uh, with Checkmat. How did you wind up uh, go, uh, becoming affiliated with Checkmat? I have a huge respect for Leo Vieira. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we are from the same generation. When he was a blue belt, I was a blue belt. When he was a purple belt, I was a purple belt. So we grow together, obviously. He, he was with Jacare in another school, and I was in my, my school. But I was watching his fights and things like that. And not, not even Lovia uh, um, is, a, is a legend, but he's an, he's an amazing person. And uh, I'm a huge fan of him. So um, things happen uh, on the grace of my past. So I need to do a transition. So we end up kind of like connecting and then... You know, we, we went from there. I want to talk to you a little bit about your teaching because, you know, obviously your, your, your focus now is teaching your students and your athletes as opposed to competing. So I'm curious about what kind of training methods you use. You, you, you came from the old school, but I noticed you teach a lot of what we would consider very modern sport jiu-jitsu. So what, how, how do you approach teaching and what kind of training methods do you use in your academy? Um, you know, I, I, I try to... I try to What's great for me because I came from the best era in Jiu-Jitsu. And, you know, the, the, the old school era was the best era in my opinion. And then we have the new new school Jiu-Jitsu and I'm able to mix it up, you know. 
I can go old school or I can go new school, you know what I mean? So for me, it's great. It's like, uh, it's like uh, learning new things every day for myself. I, I have an awesome um, foundation, and then I just adding things that make sense, you know, um, on, on the game. And I, I, I can see things through an old school eye and a new school eye. So I kind of, you know, when, when, I, when I teach my beginner's class, obviously I go, to, I go more old school because I want them to, to really get the foundation, uh, you know. So when I when I go more advanced, we talk about the the new stuff that is going on and things like that, and kind of mix it up a little bit. So I'm, I've been able to 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 go both ways, which is great for me, and I believe that's great for my for my students too as well. Definitely, I mean, you have to have the foundation and the fundamentals and the old school stuff, and so it's great that you're able to bring both perspectives to your students. In the modern jiu-jitsu, in terms of some of the new school stuff, what kind of modern techniques being used today excite you as a teacher or excite you just as someone that loves uh, to train jiu-jitsu? Well, um, you know, I, 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 like, uh, um, I like the single, single legs, um, single X and things like that. But it's funny because some of those positions, in my point of view, they like being recycled, you know. Uh, we would call different names. It's very, very similar. So it's kind of like very easy to adapt and see it. So you know, the the single the the single X is a it's a game that I think it's, I think it's fun to play. You know, I see the the X guard. I see other things. Uh, I was playing with my my students the other day, the Benny Bolo. So I taught them the Benny Bolo. That was funny. I was like, I'm old school, and I'm supposed to be doing berimbolo, but like, kind of like messing around. So I try to, I try to, to keep my eyes uh, open for everything. I, I like to, to learn and study and see everything. So I, I just, um, I just keep studying the game. The game never stops for me. Mm-hmm. When you teach a student that achieves a certain level of proficiency, maybe they're not a white belt anymore, maybe they've got a blue belt, they understand something about the fundamentals, and you're trying to get them to that next level, what are the most common things that are barriers to them continuing to progress? What are the most common mistakes you see those people that aren't total beginners but, but aren't advanced students yet? What, what common, common things do you tell them to do to improve? Uh, sometimes what I feel is that... Uh, yeah. They 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 going from white to blue, so it, it to me the most important thing is that they they keep the same work ethic that they have when they were a white belt. You know, it's uh it's very important to, to don't let these things go to your mind because sometimes you're a white belt, then you are humble and stuff. Then you got a blue belt, then you think like you you more than someone else. You know what I mean? So I think it's more for me. I think it's more like mentally. I I try to to. So when I go training, I try to go and train like a white belt, hungry for my blue belt. I don't think, oh yeah, I want three world championships in my black belt, I'm a badass, and this and that, you know what I mean? So I think the most important thing for a white belt that become blue belt is don't have this in mind. I tell my students, congratulations on your blue belt, but I hope your goal is not to be a great, great blue belt. I hope your goal is to be a great black belt. Because we see all the time blue belt excitement, 
they they have no responsibilities. So sometimes they go and they finish a purple belt or even a brown belt sometimes or even a black belt sometimes. But they they think, ah, oh, I finished a brown belt, I finished a purple belt or even a black belt. Oh, where is my black belt? You know what I mean? And uh, it, it it doesn't it doesn't go this way, you know. So I I I tell them I hope you don't want to be a, a great blue belt. You know I hope you want to be a great black belt because being a great blue belt anyone can be. They they're going down the road and becoming a, bl- a black belt and be respect for being a black belt. This should be everybody's goals instead of oh yeah I'm a blue belt now. Then they start training less and then they think they know more. Then they start going. YouTube and get everything for YouTube. <laughs> you know what I mean? That raises an interesting question. Like, what do each of the belt levels mean to you? How do you know, how do you assess what a purple belt is, what a brown belt is, what, what a black belt means to you? I, I, think, I think it goes, like, little by little. I think, I think it, 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 the, my job can be easily done if they have the commitment to show up and work hard. Then they they start uh, separating from the others. You can you can tell it's visible. Like this person is working so much. Look at this person, how they uh, they grow better. And plus, what I do too, I always train with my students. If I have fifty students, I'm gonna train with fifty students a week. I just do a rotation. Obviously, I can't train with 50, 50 people anymore. I'm not training anymore. So. <laughs> so I, I I go and I train with them through the week and I and I and I observe and I I, I take the time because I feel like you know uh, comparing uh, one student to the other is the worst thing you can do for themselves and for yourself too because everybody has a uh, their own journey or road you know some people is training jujitsu with you because. Uh, they got beat up on the streets. Some people are training jiu-jitsu with you because they want to lose weight. Some people are training jiu-jitsu because they want to compete. Some people are training jiu-jitsu because, you know, they, they thought it was great. So it, 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 you, you, you have different types of people and different types of goals. But obviously the most important thing for me is that they know their technique well. But obviously... Um, I, I can compare a 20-year-old kid with a, a, a 50-year-old uh, dad of three that works the whole day, you know what I mean? So it's, it's different. It's like you have, to, you have to have the eye and you have to see the knowledge, the level of knowledge that they have. I'm interested. You mentioned Leozinho, Leo Vieira, and Higgin Machado as two people you admire a lot. I'm curious who you think some of the best representatives of jiu-jitsu are, other than those those names. Like, who have you seen over your years in jiu-jitsu you think that is a person that is a terrific ambassador for jiu-jitsu? You know, I um, I, I have a, a lot of respect for, for, for Higan, and I have a lot of respect for Leo. As I respect the other ones, too, I respect Holly Gracie, and uh, um, a, lot of, a lot of other... Um, uh, fighters too. I would be. I think I would be unfair if I would pick some names because, mm-hmm. like I said, I came from a great era. My my YouTube was going to the competition, watch the old school guys going at it. You know, 
So being hungry, wanted to test the God, wanted to, to finish people. So it, it's hard for me because it's such a, such a, a big number of, of fighters that I, I, uh, I admire, you know. Can you identify, like, what about the old school era? Like, what, like, maybe it is going for the finish. Maybe it is, you know, takedowns. What are the things about the old school era of jiu-jitsu that you think makes it the best era of jiu-jitsu? Uh, I, I, uh, I, I would love to see the takedown, you know, and people passing the guards, you know, instead of trying to go to the back, take shortcuts. I love if I, I, I love to see the, the, the takedowns and the guard passes. Nowadays, I hate to see two people sitting on the ground. I hate. Mm. I hate seeing the two people sitting on the ground going for the foot. That kills me. Mm. It makes it very boring. I mean, it is one of the ways in which the, the, the jiu-jitsu has evolved that, that has disturbed me the most is the, the double guard pull and we're just going to mm-hmm. play with each other's feet for a few minutes. One, one thing that I wanted to mention, you mentioned that you had had ACL surgery and so you couldn't play handball anymore. I know that you had another ACL surgery later in your career. That had to be, as someone that loves jiu-jitsu so much, that had to be extremely difficult for you to stay off the mat. Yeah. You know, Jeff, uh, that, that's what, I, that's what I, uh, I think sometimes, you know. I, uh, I had my, my first uh, ACL surgery in 2009, 2010, actually. And then I have another one in 2012. So, uh when I had my second one, uh, I, I told myself I would, I would never, ever going to train Jiu-Jitsu anymore. Never. Because I don't want to go through this because, you know, I don't know if you had one or if you have known people that had one, but it's a awful experience. So I was like, I, I don't want to go through this anymore. And I want to, I really wanted to go back and, and compete, you know, and, and, uh, you get older and you have those surgeries pretty hard on you to 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 want to compete again first to even want to train again you know it's very very hard mentally and it takes a lot of you but you know I went through I had two great successful surgeries and I did my rehabilitation and I feel great I feel like I never had surgery before you know that's wonderful. Do you have any advice for people like to stay mentally tough when they're going through something like that? Was there anything that helped you um, while, during that long period of rehabilitation? You know, yes. When I had my first ACL surgery, I didn't know what it was. I was like, oh, okay, sure, let's do it. But I, 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 I wasn't like mentally prepared for anything because I had no idea how, how uh, horrible it was. I just thought that oh, it was a surgery. The doctor telling me that it's just three holes here. I'm gonna insert something here, and everything's gonna be okay. I'm gonna put the the cadaver piece on an E, and you know it's gonna be great. But then after the surgery, you know, like reality kicked in. I saw my leg like being like half, less than half of the size of the other one. So I, I see myself needing help to go to the bathroom, to take a shower, to walk. So I, I didn't even know if I'm going to walk again. You know, it's very, very traumatic, I thought. You know, what what uh, gave me a lot of strength was my, my faith in God, and I believe my family to be by my side. And uh, from the day that the doctor uh, told me, okay, now 
you can start doing your re- rehab. From that day, I was, I was, like I said, I was like obsessed with my uh, my recovery. So I done everything possible to to recover. I'm curious. We talked a little bit about history throughout throughout the interview, and I'm curious what role you think studying history should play in the jujitsu education of people like me who got started. I've been doing it about seven years, but we got started mm-hmm. a little bit later. And because you came mm-hmm. you came up in a time when very few people, even outside of Brazil, knew what jujitsu was, and you yeah. were and you were a big part of creating that history. And my 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 thought is it's very important for folks that are that are learning jiu-jitsu today to, to respect some of the, the, some of the history. Do you think folks that start training today sort of owe it to themselves to, to educate themselves about that era? Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people are educated uh, as far as history. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's like, um, it, I, I don't know, yes, I think that uh, uh, a lot of people just like the, the new stuff, like the new the new school jiu-jitsu, which is, which is fun, it's great, and all this, but at the same time, it's very important to have a foundation. The foundation is going gonna, is gonna to find going old school, you know, and for me, it's important that students know about the old school uh, positions and the, the, the history, like, as far as, um, you know, we were talking about history. Obviously, I don't know, I don't know, uh, I don't know, like, or oh, this person came from where, from where, from where, from where. But I know history. I know who who the people are, you know. And and I think I think that's important for the the true martial artist to know uh, what people coming from and what 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 your your teacher teacher's background and things like that, you know. Do you have over the years, maybe it's someone that's training with you now, maybe it's a black belt that you promoted, are there particular students that have gone on to do things either in competition or just being a good representative for the martial arts? Are there particular students of yours over the years that have been that have been special to you, that have achieved things that you want to talk about? You know, uh, yes, uh, some, of, some of my students, uh, the, the old school students, I can tell that, you know, Sindomatsu uh, is doing a great job uh, promoting jiu-jitsu um, everywhere she goes, you know, and she's a great person, great role model for men or women that uh, train jiu-jitsu nowadays. And I have a bunch of uh, new students, too. You know, uh, some of the old ones, they stopped. Some, even some of the old ones, they came back to train with me, too, as well. So um, as far as competition... Uh, we, I just started uh, my school um, ten months ago, hmm. and uh, I, I have a great group of kids, a lot of kids that I that they compete. I have some women, some men too. So it's it's kind of like a, uh, a new beginning for me as far as like having competitors and in competition and having students like that. I think it, they're doing great. They're doing a great job. But uh, it's it's too kind of like too early for me to say things in uh, regards to to that, you know. If people are interested, if if people in California are interested in training with you or interested in bringing you in for a seminar, is there a way that they can get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. They can contact uh, me through email. I don't I don't handle anything outside the mat. Uh, what I love to do is put my gear and have fun. But I have people. Uh, behind me that supports me and uh, I have uh, 
um, I have my website. It has information there. When you look back from competing to teaching, what what do you think your fondest memory in jujitsu is? The fond fondest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The thing you look back on that makes you happiest. You know, I think is the the number of uh, friendships I I made through these whole years. The the type of people that I met, the places that I went to to teach or to train or develop, the places I visited, the people that I met. This is what makes um, jujitsu great. You know, nowadays it's. Uh, uh, you know, the system wants to, to separate us, but you need to bring us all together. I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff. They do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian jiu-jitsu gis or Tudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one. 24 Lotta Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cagesidecom So that's our show for today. I always enjoy hearing from old school folks, and I hope you do too. Leca Vieira and people like her are true pioneers, and those of us training today stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. Without them, we wouldn't be able to train today. So we're always going to continue to focus on our local scene here in North Carolina, Virginia, and the rest of the Southeast in terms of the interviews we do. But moving forward, there will be more shows like this as well, with legends of jiu-jitsu that maybe aren't as well-known as they deserve to be. For me, Leca Vieira's story and her attitude exemplify everything jiu-jitsu should be about. It's about wanting to do something passionately and pursuing it against all odds. It's about hard work and persistence leading you to the success that you might never have thought possible, even when you're entering a space where people like you have traditionally been excluded. And maybe you find some things along the way that you didn't even know you wanted, but those things make your life and the lives around you better. Like Leca Vieira said at the end of the interview, ultimately, jujitsu brings us all together. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and let us know what you thought of the show on Facebook. I'm Jeff Shaw, and we'll see you all next week.